want to say thanks for having me out here. I'm uh, always happy to come to Carmen. Um, I think I've shared this in the past, but I have a, a soft spot in my heart for this congregation. I guess you guys have been a, a great encouragement to me over the years. And um, Alicia sends her regrets. She wishes she could have been here with, with me this morning, but she's, in, uh, she's actually in BC attending a work conference right now. So uh, she's, not, she's not around this weekend. But um, uh, I wanted to just start this out by, by asking a question. Um, have you guys ever heard of the, the saying that goes, uh, familiarity breeds contempt? Uh, it's a common saying, maybe we've heard it before, but I think the gist of what it, what it means is that sometimes we get so comfortable with an idea or with a teaching that we, we actually kind of lose the meaning of it and it doesn't really sink in anymore. Uh, we know uh, of the teaching in kind of an objective or you know, superficial on a level like that, but the actual words have lost their meaning. I think it can happen with some of the concepts we talk about often in, in church settings like reading the Bible. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say, you need to read your Bible? I mean, we've heard it so many times, right? And, and because of that, I think, you know, we understand it on a, on a kind of like a, a really like basic level, but maybe the words or the meaning doesn't actually sink into us. And we don't hear the message behind, behind the words. Uh, and I think the same thing can apply with what Rob just read for us, the Great Commission from Jesus. We hear, we hear of the Great Commission so often, and we often talk about the Great Commission, uh, but I think we run the risk, because we talk about it so often, of, of letting it kind of wash over us and not really sinking in. And, and so I hope that you haven't already tuned me out this morning because of the scripture that we chose, or the topic that this is about, but um, that, that we'll kind of look at this maybe as if it's the first time we've heard it before, and, uh, and try to see what Jesus has to say about this idea of the Great Commission. Um, in, the, in, the, in the Great Commission, Jesus gives this teaching to his followers about making disciples. Um, and the Great Commission is all about making disciples. And the objective that I want to talk about today is what disciple-making actually entails. What are the actual nuts and bolts about what it means to make disciples, and and how do we get more effective in this area? And I have to be honest that what you're about to hear is not going to be a master class from somebody with years of disciple-making experience because, honestly, I am no expert in this area. And, and I hope that, you know, I can still help in that area even though I'm not an expert. And I, and I think I can because the Bible has a lot to say about this important topic. And so... Um, this morning we're going to focus on what the Bible has to say about disciple making. And I want to do that by looking at the three action words of the Great Commission uh, that, that we, we just heard read to us. So those action words are go, baptize, and teach. And my humble submission this morning is that we will be more effective at accomplishing this Great Commission if we go with the right attitude, if we baptize with the right goal, and if we teach with the right example. So those are the three topics or the points of the sermon this morning. We'll be, we'll be focusing on those three things. And so the first one, uh, well, before we get into the first one, I wanted to talk about one other thing. Um, I think when I was thinking about the importance of Jesus' words in this Great Commission and, and that he spoke to his followers, it occurred to me that uh, the Great Commission is not unlike something we see a lot in the corporate world today, uh, called a mission statement. Maybe you guys have seen these at work or, or read about them with different organizations you're in contact with. 
um, mission statements help us to stay grounded in what our focus is, and they give, they give us direction and, and help us to put efforts towards the right areas and avoid distractions. They, they help us from, um, they, they keep us on a direction and a track, and they give us a purpose for everything we can, we're doing, and they can recenter us when we get off track. And getting off track isn't just something that occurs in the church. Uh, I think we can see how it can happen in any area of our life, uh, in, in our lives, and experts refer to this concept as something called mission drift, and there's many books written about this. Um, you know, in my, in my opinion, the Great Commission could easily be seen as a mission statement for the church. If we aren't careful, though, we can actually lose sight of what our mission is. And sometimes I find it helpful to look at the things that aren't said in order to try to underscore or emphasize what was said. And so looking at the words of, Je- of Jesus in the Great Commission... Um, he didn't say all authority on, on heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and attend lots of Bible studies. Or he didn't say all authority has been given to me, that, so make sure you worship with the church every Sunday. Or he didn't say all authority has been given to me, therefore read the Bible or pray a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that these things aren't important, and I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't command us to do these things, because it does. But the thing for us to grasp is that Jesus could have singled out anything when he gave this mission, but he chose this one thing, make disciples. And so we have to ask ourselves, don't we? Is this mission really at the core of everything we're doing? Is this mission from Jesus even on our radar? Are we too busy making ourselves uh, busy with church activities and churchy things, but neglecting to do the thing that Jesus singled out for us to focus on when he spoke these words? It is easy to get distracted, I know, and I'm guilty of this. But I think we can get so busy with church activities sometimes that we forget about the lost people around us that need to know about Jesus. And so with that in mind, I want us to to look at those three things that I discussed um, earlier on, which which are these three things. As we try to get better at this whole discipleship thing, uh, uh, making disciples of all the nations. I think we'll look at these three things. Go with the right attitude, baptize with the right goal, and teach with the right example. So to start it out, let's talk about a study that I, I recently came across. Um, it was by the Barna Group. I don't know if anybody's read any of their studies before, but they're, they're actually quite good. Um, this one in particular was published in 2018, and they pulled the data from a survey they did in 2017 and the title of the, the lesson, or sorry, the title of the survey was called Spiritual Conversations in the Digital Age. And the goal of the study was to look at how Christians approach sharing their faith and how that approach has changed over the last 25 years since they did this study in 1993 as well. And so I won't have time to go through the whole thing. It's like a 100-page study. But uh, here are some of the highlights that, that popped out Uh, when I was going through some of it. Uh, One-third of all U.S. adults say that they have made a big change in their life because of a conversation that they had about faith. One-third. Also, another one that popped out was that one in three Christians say someone has has come to believe in Jesus uh, after they have shared their faith with them. And another one that I thought was very impactful was this. A majority of practicing Christians non-practicing Christians, and even non-Christians, they would all choose a friend as the person they would want to speak with most 
about their faith. So, like, the interesting thing for me with that was the last one, that, that non-Christians even would choose a friend. So that gives us something to think about as we, as we think about our circle of friends. On the kind of bad news side of this study, though, I've, I also discovered that it said this, three out of four Christians have had fewer than ten spiritual conversations in the past year. So three out of four of us are, are talking about our faith with people less than ten times a year. And in the study, they also asked this question uh, to self-proclaiming Christians. They, they made a statement and asked them if they would agree or disagree with this statement. And the statement was, every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. Do you agree or not? And when they asked the question in 1993, uh, nine out of ten self-proclaiming Christians agreed with that. And when they did it in 2017, it was down to uh, 64%. So 25% point drop over the last 25 or so years so I think we can see from these first three statistics that we went over that having spiritual conversations about our faith is a very effective way to share the good news of Jesus and especially if we are having those conversations with our friends uh, because it seems like our friends are more more um, apt or more more willing to accept that type of a conversation but also you can see from the last two statistics Kind of the bad news side is that the personal convictions that Christians have for sharing and talking about their faith has dropped dramatically over the last 25 years. And so this makes me even more happy that we're discussing this important topic this morning about discipleship and, and evangelism. In Romans 10, 13 to 14, Paul says, Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's such a great truth. Uh, and then he goes on to say, How then will they call on him on whom they've not heard? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And so it does seem so simple, right? We just have to share the good news and then people can respond. Um, but the thing about that is that we actually have to share the good news for it to work. How is anybody going to know about the good news of Jesus unless somebody tells them? We need to be willing to talk about our faith because this is the great commission that Jesus gave to his followers. It's not just for the serious Christians, if, there's a, if there is such a term. It's not for the church leadership. It's for everybody. It's for all of us. So why don't we share more? Why, why do 75% of us have fewer than 10 spiritual conversations a year? And admittedly, as I said, I'm no expert in this area, and I also admittedly struggle in this area, but I think there are a few things that we can talk about uh, that will help us this morning. The first thing I want to talk about is something called the bystander effect. Uh, have you guys ever heard of this? It's a real thing in psychology. And according to psychology today, the bystander effect occurs when the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening in an emergency situation. So the greater number of bystanders, the less likely it is for any one of them to provide help uh, to a person in, in distress. So essentially, this is like you're walking down the street and you see somebody in pain on the side of the street you would be pretty likely to stop and help that person. But put yourself on the same street with the same person in pain, and this time just surround yourself with, with way more people. You're just surrounded by other people as well. You'd actually be less likely to do anything for that person. And this is because we feel less responsible to do something for other people when there's a lot more people around because we just sort of assume that somebody else is going to take care of it for us. I found a really neat example of this playing out in a video on YouTube, and I'll try to play it here this morning. I hope it works. 
It's just a short clip of, of this bystander effect in action. Uh, so here it goes. Liverpool Street Station in London, a busy thoroughfare for commuters. Uh, uh. Unknown to these passers-by, Peter is an actor. Uh. As part of an experiment on bystander apathy, he's pretending to be ill. So it's just one video, it's just one example, and I know it's an actor situation, I, I'm aware of that, but I still think it points out a kind of a, an important and maybe a bit disturbing uh, tendency that humans have to sort of shift focus or shift responsibility onto others when there's a lot more people around. Uh, I mean, it's just easier not to get involved, right, in the Great Commission. It's easier to ignore the fact that that person you know at work or the the person in your group of friends needs to hear the gospel and just assume that somebody else is going to do it. Jesus said that, um, oh, sorry, Jesus said here in Matthew 9:37 that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I think when he, when he spoke these words, he was calling us to have a sense of urgency for the lost souls around us and, and the people that are there and the harvest that is ripe around us right now. And he points out in this verse that there's a lot more work to do than there are workers willing to do it. And so because of this, I think we all need to be willing to shake off the bystander effect and get to work at harvesting uh, the souls around us. Another thing that I think will help us as we try to go with the right attitude is to push ourselves outside of our comfort zones. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22, Paul says these words, and I'm going to highlight some of them. Uh, he said, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak. And then in verse 22 he says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And so the question for us this morning is this. Uh, do we seek out the lost like this? Do we ever try to get out of our comfort zones to save, to help people know about Jesus? Do we try new experiences? Do we grow closer to different groups of people? As much as it would be great to have everybody in Carmen just come flocking in through the doors to learn more about how they can give their lives to Christ, I don't think that's going to happen right away. Uh, as Jesus said in the Great Commission that we're going to have to go. And that might mean that we have to go into some places and talk to some people that make us uncomfortable or that are outside the norm for us to do. Another thing we can do as we try to go with the right attitude is fight the urge to be ashamed of the good news that we're sharing. And, and in, Jesus said in, in Luke 9:26 that whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and, and of the holy angels. And also in Luke 10, uh, sorry, Luke 19:10, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus made it his life goal to seek the lost and save the lost. And as his followers, I believe we need to share in that mission, just like he's instructed us to do in the Great Commission. But I find it really interesting that in 
In Luke 19.10, Jesus says these words, and then right after this, he goes on to tell the parable of the ten minas. really love the parable of the ten minas. Uh, I won't have time to read it all this morning, but if you want to reference along as I hit some of the high notes, uh, it's, from, it's from Luke 19.11 to 27. So we know that um, a mina was about three months' wages. It was a good amount. It was worth a lot. And the parable uh, of the three... Of the, of the ten minas is about a master who gives one mina each to each of his ten servants and then he goes on a long journey to receive a kingdom before coming back and he tells his servants to engage in business until his return and then when he comes back the first servant comes up to him and he he shows him that he made ten minas with the one that he'd been given and so the second servant comes and shows him that he'd made five with the one that he'd been given and then in Luke 19:20. It says, Then another servant came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. And his master is furious about this. Uh, and he replies to the servant in verse 23, Why then didn't you put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? The servant didn't do anything with the, with the gift that his master had given him. And the master says that the, sh- the servant should have at least put the money in the bank so that a small return on his investment could have been made. He points out later on that the servant is wicked for slacking in his responsibility. And, and what I want to point out this morning is that our mina, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. But what are we going to do with it? Are we going to share and multiply that gift? Or are we going to keep it to ourselves and hide it away and tell nobody? We need to be willing to put ourselves out there, even if it means that putting ourselves out there might come with rejection and opposition. And so finally, another thing I think we can do to go with the right attitude is to present the good news of Jesus as exactly that. Good news, uh, because it is good news, and we can be joyful about it when we tell people. In Matthew 20, uh, sorry, in Matthew 12, 34, it says, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And so if our heart is full of thankfulness and joy, our message will be coming across that way to others. It will come across as good news. Why do you think the church was growing like wildfire in the first century? Was it a good speaker? Good children's programs? I don't think so. I think it was because the people were crazy about God. They were so thrilled to have their sins forgiven and be in a relationship with their Creator. They couldn't contain it. They had to get it out there and tell everybody so that they could join them. And that's why it spread so much, because it was contagious. And I think in the same way, we need to share the good news like this. We need to be willing to go. Jesus commanded us to do it, and the research that we just reviewed shows that having spiritual conversations with other people does lead people to Christ. And when we share the good news, we should share it as exactly that, because it is good news. And we also need to work hard at sharing it in a way that's loving and respectful so that by doing it, we actually draw people into Christ and that we can make sure it's well received as far as it depends on us. So our goal this morning is to look at the three action words that Jesus gave in his command to make disciples. So far, we've looked at going with the right attitude. As we said, we need to be willing to go even if it means getting out of our comfort zone. We need to fight the urge to be ashamed of the gospel as we deliver the best news anybody can hear. And the next action word that we're going to look at is baptize. And this morning, I want to talk about the importance of baptizing with the right goal. 
Without Jesus' blood, our sin separates us from God, and we have no way of making up for breaking his commands. We are guilty of this, and because of that, we all deserve to pay the penalty for what we've done. Because of God's compassion and his amazing grace, he did something so incredible. He actually, sent, uh, he actually came to this earth in the form of Jesus and died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve to pay upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. Isn't that amazing news? And so when people come to hear about this and they actually come to a clear understanding of what's been done for them, the natural response is usually gratitude. And then a question that goes something like, well, what should I do now? And this is the response that the people had when Peter told them about the good news as, as it's recorded in Acts uh, 2.37. It says there that now when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter's answer to them uh, was the familiar words uh, from Acts 2.38, which says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And so I'd like to put that command from Peter uh, together with what it says in Romans 6.3 and 4 this morning uh, about baptism, where it says, do, not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Amen. And so we see here an amazing picture of baptism. I really love this section. And, and we see that a believer is ready to become a disciple or a follower of Jesus when they are ready to start a new life. This new life is no longer about themselves and what they want to do. Instead, they realize that they are ready to follow after Jesus because of all he's done for them. The picture painted in Romans 6 is that if we get to this point, we need to be willing to get up to uh, give up our old life and actually die to it. And baptism is the point where you demonstrate to God that you are ready to die to your old life and accept his way instead. You are buried with him. Uh, you are sorry, you are buried in the water to end your old selfish and sinful life. And then you were raised out of the water to live a new life. And yes, this new life will still have sin in it. But now instead of living for yourself, you will be living, uh, you will be striving to live like Jesus. And over time, with effort and with God's help, you will begin to look more and more like him. And this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. We will follow his ways instead of our own. And what I want to focus on this morning is that last part. The part about striving to be more and more like Jesus, as we follow after him. In the Great Commission, did, G did Jesus just mean to say that being a disciple was just about getting someone to dunk you in the water? I mean, of course we know that he had more in mind than that, right? The Great Commission tells us about the command to be baptized, but it tells us about the command to be baptized in a larger uh, context of a command to be a disciple of Christ. The word disciple comes from the Greek word Mathetes, which means one who follows one's teaching. And we know from our scripture reading that baptism was a part of the teaching about, that Jesus gave about being his disciple, but it certainly wasn't the only thing that made someone a follower of Jesus. In scripture, baptism is the point where believers communicate to God that they are ready and willing to die to their old selves and to follow after him instead. And so my point this morning is this. Baptism is not the end goal of the Great Commission or the end goal of making disciples. It's actually just the beginning. When believers are baptized, the church 
needs to rally around them and put in an extra special effort and care and attention to help them to grow and become one who follows Jesus' teaching. And likewise, the idea of discipleship isn't trying to get people to go to church. I really don't like that term. Um, but it, it, it's such a shortcoming to see the goal of discipleship that way. Like, some, like somehow, if somebody is a regular churchgoer, we've fulfilled our mission. I mean, worshiping with other believers is very important, but it isn't what, dis- it isn't what defines a disciple. By making disciples, we are trying to make followers of Christ in every sense of what that word means or what that phrase means. And I think this is partly why Paul spoke these words in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, when he said, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We need to be invested in the lives of the people around us to help them to grow into the image of Jesus. As we've already discussed, we do need to be willing to go into the world and share the good news of Jesus, but we can't forget that discipleship work is still something that needs to be done with the people that are sitting right here in this building. We can't assume that just because somebody has been baptized or we can't assume that just because somebody is here on a regular basis that their spiritual growth is going great because it might not be. Paul says here that as teachers, we need to be willing to equip each other to serve so that the body of Christ might be built up. And I think in one way or another, we are all teachers. And so we all need to be willing to help each other grow in our faith and in our commitment to follow Jesus. So we've talked about the first two action words that Jesus gave in the Great Commission. We talked about how we need to go with the right attitude and some ways that we can do better at that. And next we talked about the importance of baptizing with the right goal. We said that the goal was to create committed followers of Jesus, not just filling up a church building. And the last of the three action words that Jesus gave in the Great Commission is to teach. And we'll finish our time this morning by talking about teaching with the right example. And so maybe the best place to start is to try and answer this question. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, Jesus helps us with the, the answer to this in Mark eight thirty four to 36. It says, Then he called a crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? yet forfeit their soul. And so Jesus was defining what it meant to be his disciple. And the definition was somebody who was willing to follow in his footsteps. If we want to be a follower of Jesus, um, our life should resemble the life of Jesus. Look at the scripture again, and notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, if you want to be my follower, go to church every Sunday. He didn't say, if you want to be my follower, go to a Bible study once a week. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying these things aren't critical because we need to do these things to survive as his followers, but these are not the things that define us as his followers. If we want to follow him, we need to actually be like him. And so this is why Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ when he wrote to the church in Corinth. So if we asked a a random person on the street, who is a Christian? We might get answers like, well, somebody who goes to church on Sunday. 
or somebody who tries to follow a bunch of rules or somebody who tries to be good or maybe we'd probably get a whole list of things that we probably honestly don't want to hear either. Um, but in the Bible, the word Christian comes from the Greek word Christianos. And it literally means, get this, uh, a follower of Christ. I mean, it's not really a big surprise, is it? But if we aren't careful, we will start to believe some of the street definitions we talked about instead of this one. We might think that being a Christian is all about where we park our butts on Sunday morning instead of the person we are trying to be like seven days a week. So if we are trying to imitate Jesus, it makes sense to remind ourselves of some of the things Jesus did. He spent his life telling people about God and helping, his, uh, and helping others to do the same. Jesus spent his life showing love towards other people. Jesus spent his life helping those around him who were hurting from disease, hurting from marginaliz uh, marginalization, and hurting from sin. Je uh, Jesus lived a life of total self-sacrifice for others. And maybe to sum it up, we could say that Jesus spent his life trying to bring people closer to God. And so how are we doing with this? How are we doing at, at being like Christ? Here's a couple of questions that we can all ask ourselves as, as sort of a self-check. In your free time, what do you do? Do you find yourself doing some of the things that Jesus did? Some of the things we talked about and, and many others that he also did? Or would you say that your free time is maybe more all about yourself? Or how about this? Would you say that you look more like Jesus now than you did this time last year? Or are things pretty much the same? In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Disciples of Christ shine the light of Christ through good deeds. And this means, for us, this means action. Jesus said to go and to baptize and to teach. And there, are a lot, and there is a lot of the teaching, uh, sorry, and a lot of the teaching that we do will need to be through our actions. If others see committed followers of Jesus, they're going to have a much better time of committing their lives to the same thing as well. And so perhaps maybe one of the best ways that we can teach with the right example is to show love to each other. And I'm not talking about the kind of love that's superficial or amicable, but I'm talking about the type of love that bears each other's burdens and is patient with each other even when we don't agree or, we have uh, or maybe we have different opinions. I'm talking about the type of love that is self-sacrificing. In John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus, uh, Jesus said these words, and I, and I hope that everybody will listen to this because it's just so important. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how will people know that we are Jesus' disciples? It says right there, by our love. By our love. He could have said by our accurate biblical interpretation, but he didn't. He could have said by our prayer life, but he didn't say that either. He could have said by our amazing worship. I mean, all of those things are important, but it isn't what Jesus singled out. And brothers and sisters, when people look into this congregation, they need to see love. They need to see the type of love that they don't see anywhere else. They need to see the type of love that stands out the same way that Jesus' love stood out.
And so there is a lot wrapped up in, the, in Jesus' great commission. Today we've talked about the three words uh, that Jesus gave, the three action words that Jesus gave. And we said also that the Great Commission could have been seen as a mission statement for the church. And as Jesus' followers, reminding ourselves of this mission will help us get, avoid getting distracted and getting off track. Today we focused on those action words, to go, baptize, and teach. And, and we said we need to go with the right attitude. When Jesus said to go, he meant that you and I individually need to go, despite that pet excuse that we all have in our heads. It's not someone else's job. It's all of our jobs. And when we go, we need to make sure that we're sharing the good news because it is good, it is good news that we are sharing and people need to hear it so they can respond and accept Jesus. And we need to baptize as well. And when we baptize, we need to baptize with the right goal, seeing it as the beginning and not the end. The work of discipleship isn't finished when a believer comes up out of the water. The goal of discipleship is not to fill pews, but it's to make genuine followers of Jesus Christ people that are like him. We need to reach the lost, but we also don't want to forget that there are people in our midst and in this congregation that need to grow as well. And, in a, and we are all in this amazing, never-ending pursuit of trying to fully reflect the image of Jesus with our lives. And by God's grace, we will continue to grow in this area year after year. And to help us accomplish that growth, Jesus told us to teach. Today we talked about teaching with the right example, and as it says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. A lot of the teaching we do will be through our example. And if others see committed followers of Jesus, they will be much more likely to follow our example, which is ultimately following Christ's example. So go and baptize and teach. This is the mission statement that our Lord Jesus gave us. And brothers and sisters, the fields are ripe for harvest at this very moment. May God give us the strength to go uh, with the right attitude, baptize with the right goal, and teach with the right example as we seek to make committed followers of, his, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your time.